In 1 Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam faces a big decision. And you know the story already. If you've kept up with your Bible reading, this chapter was in our reading in the previous week. King Rehoboam, just been crowned. He's the fourth king of God's holy people in the Old Testament after Saul, then David, and then Solomon, his father, and now Rehoboam is on the throne. But let me tell you that the relationships within God's people, within Israel, are strained, very tenuous, fragile at best. And so Rehoboam has a difficult task in holding the kingdom together. He's got a big decision to make in this chapter. What we see beginning at about verse 4 is some people, a delegation from the northern tribes from Israel, come before the king and they say, Please, O king, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Your father Solomon worked us to the bone. We helped to build his palace. We helped to build his temple, God's temple. And we are tired. If you would just go a little easier on us, if you would lighten our load, if you would make our yoke less heavy, then listen, we will serve you until our dying breath. And Rehoboam says, I want you to go away three days and come back and I'll have an answer for you. And that's a good sign at first, I'd say. In a leader, it's a good sign that that you've got somebody who wants to thoughtfully consider a big decision such as this. And he says, give me some time. I need three days, maybe to pray, maybe to think, but certainly to seek out some counsel. And he, in this three-day time period, he goes first to... The old men, we read about this in chapter 12, verse 6. The men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet still alive. The men in the generation above him. And that's another good sign. The first group that he goes to is men who are his senior. Men who are older and wiser than him. That's a good sign. And he tells them the request that the people from Israel made to him. And this is their counsel, the old men. They say, listen, King Rehoboam, if you will be a servant to this people today, if you will serve them, if you will take the stance of a servant, if you will deal with them humbly, if you will speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. In other, in other words, listen to them, lighten their load, back off a bit, and they will serve you. So he listens to the old men, but then the text tells us he also takes counsel from some young men. From some men who are from his generation. And their advice, their counsel could not be any more different than the counsel of the old men. This is what they say. When Rehoboam gives them the scenario, they say, this is what you need to tell those people. You need to tell them, this is verse 10, my little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. (laughs) My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will only add to that yoke. 
my father disciplined you with whips, I'm going to do the same with scorpions. So these young men, what they want Rehoboam to do is to flex his muscles a bit. Is to show them that he means business. That he's going to rule with toughness. With an iron fist. And the question is, whose counsel will Rehoboam take? To whom will he listen? Will he take to heart the advice of his elders or his equals? Of men his senior or men his own age? Will he listen to his contemporaries or will he listen to men who have had a little more experience in life? And I want to ask you the same question that we just asked about Rehoboam, about this text. Whose counsel do you take? Whose counsel do you listen to, not just in moments of big decision in your life, but just in the everyday course of life? Are you more prone to listen to people your own age? Or are you more prone to listen to your elders? To people who've been around the block, who've had a little more experience, who are probably a little wiser. I want to share a theory with you, and it's just a theory, it's a working theory. And you can tell me afterwards if you think it has any merit, but this is what I think. I think that in our culture, we are conditioned to listen to our peers above our elders. I think in our culture, we are trained to listen to those of us who are in the same age bracket, to our contemporaries, instead of those who are older and wiser. Let me share with you a couple reasons why I think this. In our culture, I think in general, we think old equals bad. We like new things, novel things, new ideas, new books. Don't tell me about some old, dusty idea from generations gone by. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to pull some old, dusty book off the shelf and read about somebody who lived 100, 200 years ago. I don't want to hear about their ideas. And I don't want to listen to the counsel of an old person. You know, when it comes to older people in our society, sometimes we have a way of, of, of sort of putting them away and putting them out to pasture in a sense and, and not respecting them and not regarding their wisdom and their experience and not listening to them. We, we just sort of cast them aside. I think we see this in our culture. It's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. I like this phrase. Chronological snobbery. It's kind of a fancy phrase that means we are snobs when it comes to our generation and the people who live today. And we think the only good ideas come from people who are living currently. And everything that's gone before and everything in the past is not as good and not as wise and not as smart as what you can hear today. We are snobs when it comes to the era in which we live and the generation the generation in which we are a part. And I think this is one reason why the Bible gets a bad rap. There was a song that came out a few years back from an R&B rap artist, and it was advocating for same-sex marriage. And in the song, there is a knock against conservative Christian people who, who advocate for 
God's vision of the home and, and the family and what people in society today would call traditional marriage. And it talks about people like conservative Christians, people like us, appealing to God's Word to make our case. And it says this about the Bible. We paraphrase a book written 3,500 years ago. And it sort of casts aside the Bible for one reason. It's old. It's an old book. Now, not all of the Bible was written 3,500 years ago. I'll make that correction. Some was written about 2,000 years ago. But because it's old, it's bad. It's useless. It's irrelevant. Old equals bad in our culture. And so this conditions us to listen not to our older, wiser elders, but to people who may not be quite as wise our own age. Here's another reason. Let me give you a bit of a history lesson. In the first hundred years or so of our nation's history, young people, when they reached a certain age, would begin working with their parents or some older family member or somebody in town in a specific trade or occupation. I'm speaking generally here. Generally, society was structured around these relationships between adults and the young people that they were directly training. And we, we might call them apprenticeships. These apprenticeships provided built-in mentoring, not just in the job, not just in the specific trade being taught, but in life skills, in how to conduct oneself in life. But in 1875, the U.S. Supreme Court allowed tax money to be spent on high school education. And by 1918, every state in the Union had established compulsory attendance laws requiring students to attend high school through at least 16 years of age, thus delaying teenagers' entrance into the workforce. So do you see what we have done in American society? We have pulled young people out of relationships in which they were being mentored by an older person and put them in environments where they are surrounded by hundreds of other young people. Now, I'm not knocking against our education system and I'm not making a judgment call about this shift in our society. I'm just giving us some historical perspective about why in our day and age, we are being conditioned and trained not to listen to those who are older and wiser, but to listen to people in our own generation, our own age bracket. Do you see historically how this shift might encourage people to seek counsel from their equals instead of their elders. Maybe your experience in life bears this theory out. When you face a problem, an issue, who do you go to first? Who do you seek counsel from? Is it a faithful, trusted, older, Christian person that you know in our community or in our church family? Is that the source that you go to first? Or is it someone your own age? Is it a peer, a contemporary, an equal? Now, that's not to say you might not get some good advice from someone who's younger. Some younger people are quite wise. I thought I'd get a laugh from that. But I guess you think that I'm old. There are some people who are younger and wiser, and there are some people who are older and are not all that wise and could be wiser. But generally speaking, those of us who are older, those of you who are older from your life experience have become wiser. And I'm wondering, 
Do you have older people that you confide in? When you face a fork in the road, when you face a problem in your life, or, or just generally from day to, in day-to-day counsel, are you listening, seeking the advice of someone who's older, a, a faithful, trusted, older Christian? Or do you go first to the people your own age? Whose counsel should we take in general? I think the answer is obvious by now. You know, we should be listening to our elders. The book of Proverbs, which we've already read this year, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 22, gives us a representative example. But throughout this book, an older, wiser father figure is saying, listen to me, O son. Listen to my advice, to my counsel in Proverbs 23, 22, we have this. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Do not neglect her needs. Do not ignore her counsel. Just because she is old does not mean that you need to put her out to pasture and to consider her advice useless and worthless. Listen to your parents. Listen to your elders. They have wisdom to impart to you. And when we move into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to go to uh, Titus chapter 2 for a minute or two. The Apostle Paul says that part of the role of a Christian older woman is to train the younger women in the church. Titus chapter 2 verse 3, older women, you are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine, You are to teach what is good. And so, verse 4, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the Word of God may not be reviled. Now, there could be some other instructions that Paul could have included here. The emphasis here is on older women teaching younger women to be the godly wives and mothers that they're called to be. But the emphasis is there. Paul is saying the role, one of the roles of older women in the church is to train the younger women. So that is part of the package. If you are an older woman, let me put it this way. If there are Christians who are younger than you in this church family, as an older woman, and Paul also implies that older men are to help train the younger men. If you're a man in this church family and there are Christian men who are younger than you, then part of your responsibility as a Christian, and it's non-negotiable, it's not something you can pick and choose, is to help train those younger believers. That's part of what you've been called to do as a part of the body of Christ. Younger people need the wise counsel of older This is the biblical model. This is how the church is supposed to function. But for this to happen, we've got to know each other. We've got to talk to each other. We have to spend time together. I'm talking about older and younger. We have to share relationships. And it's troubling to me when churches of all places, of all people, not only don't make it easy for old and young to connect, but they actually discourage relationships between older and younger Christians. Listen to this. This is an account that I recently read from a young wife and mother. She says, we went to church tonight, a church we've been attending some. 
This church claims to be seeker-friendly and family-friendly. They present themselves that way. Every time we've been there, the boys have wanted to go in the nursery, the kids' area. Tonight, they wanted to stay with us to see what was happening in service. So we sat in the back. We love for our kids to be part of the service, to be part of the church. The boys are good in these settings. They don't get loud, but they do ask questions. They don't, they don't always stay seated, but they stay near us. Then the preacher got up to preach. Judah was quietly writing on paper. Isaiah was eating a cookie. An usher came over and said to us, we need you to step out with the children. She said, we didn't just step out. We left. Later, she confronted one of the leaders and she was told, the church doesn't like children to be in the worship service. They have places for the children to go. Because when children are in the worship service, it ruins the experience for others. And it disrupts the recording of the preaching. Now to my knowledge, this was not a church of Christ. And I know and I'm thankful that we don't go to this extreme, but we should be on guard in our church family, in the way that we organize. We should be on guard against too much age segregation in the church. Some is okay. Some is even beneficial. It's good for us to have relationships with our peers. It's good for us to be in Sunday school classes with people who are going through the same stage of life that we are. Sometimes it's good for us to split up and for kids to have their own class and for the, the message of God's Word to be presented at an age-appropriate level. But you can easily go overboard. And total age segregation, which many churches have gone the way of, can be harmful. Especially when I think about what the authors of Sticky Faith, a resource that I've relied on for a long time, they talk about what are the factors that help kids keep their faith in the long term. And this was striking to me. The closest our research has come to that definitive silver bullet is this sticky finding. For high school and college students, there's a relationship between attendance at church-wide worship services and sticky faith. So in other words... If we are committed to bringing everyone together under the same roof as one big body of believers, that is the most predictive factor that our young people will stick with their faith when they leave the nest, when they graduate from high school and move out into the world. Church-wide worship services? It shocked me when I first read that. But it speaks to the importance of bringing old believers and young believers together as one body. We don't want to be a church that is totally age segregated. We certainly don't want to be a church that tells young families you can't bring your kids into church because it's going to be a distraction. I'm thankful every Sunday morning when I get up here and I hear the sounds of little ones in our assembly. And people ask me from time to time, do you get distracted when you're preaching and there's crying? And the answer is, Sometimes I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> but it's a blessing. And for the most part, I can tune it out because I tune out my own children at home. And so I'm able to do that when I'm up here. But it's a wonderful blessing. That's it's exactly where children need to be. With the body of believers sitting beside their parents and other older believers, watching them worship, watching them sing, 
watching them listen to the sermon, watching them bow their heads, close their eyes, and pray, watching them take of the bread and the cup, these elements that represent the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly where our kids need to be. And I will, I'll get through the sermon some way or another if there's crying and commotion going on. It's a beautiful thing that we have babies and children in our midst. And I'm thankful for the age diversity of our family. It's a bit concerning when you see some of these newer pop-up churches and it seems like everybody is the same age. That everybody's young. Those places, they've got to be missing out on the wisdom that can be derived from older, faithful believers. And on the opposite end, we've been places before where it seems that everybody's old. And maybe not by their own choosing, but the nursery is dusty and the children's classrooms haven't been used in years. And it's just sad, isn't it? When we go to such places, we know this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. The cries of babies and, and little ones making a commotion sometimes. Blonde hair and blue hair and... <laughs> brown hair and gray hair and white hair and bald heads. This is the way it's supposed to be. And I'm grateful that all different types of people can come together. All different ages can come together. But this doesn't mean that we can't improve. This doesn't mean that we can't make it even easier for older Christians and younger Christians to connect so that younger Christians can benefit from the counsel and wisdom of older Christians. So let me speak to older Christians. And let me tell you, most of the people to whom I'm speaking are both older and younger Christians. I'm an older Christian to some people in this body, and I'm a younger Christian to others. So both of these, with few exceptions, what I'm about to say to older and younger applies to you, applies to us all. Older Christians, make yourself available to younger people in the church. I think sometimes our youth can intimidate our older folks. We think we don't understand them don't understand the culture in which they're being brought up. They wouldn't like me or respect me or listen to me. Maybe some of us older people think that. I think you would be surprised by how welcoming, by how eager some of our younger people would be to have a conversation with you, even if it's a little bit awkward at first, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable. I challenge all older Christians, make yourself available to younger Believers, maybe you say, well, what do I have to offer? You know, I'm nobody special. I've, I've not done anything great for God in my life. Let me ask you a question. How long have you been a Christian? 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? You've been faithful to God for half a century? That ain't nothing. That in, it, in and of itself, without any words, speaks volumes about you. And that is a wonderful legacy that you can share with our young people. Let me ask you something else. How long have you been married? 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? Then you have a great example to share with our young people of devotion and fidelity in a marriage. How many years have you been involved in the service of the church in some shape, form, or fashion? You've been involved in being a deacon or an usher or a Bible class teacher or served on the food service committee. Decades? Then you ha have endured in the service of the church and you have something valuable to share 
with the next generation. This sign hangs in my brother Alex's office who's coming in right now just in time. Here's what it says. Be who you needed when you were younger. I love that. Be who you needed when you were younger. What counsel did you need? What advice do you wish somebody had given to you? Be that kind of person for one of these young people. Give that counsel to them. What it was that you needed. What it was you wished someone had told you. Be a blessing. Be a help. Be an encouragement to one of these young people. And younger Christians, and I'm talking to myself here too, and even those of you who are 50, 60, 70, you in this church family, you're still a younger Christian to some people. Younger Christians, seek out older, wiser Christians to befriend, to mentor, to train you, just to be in their presence. And you'll be blessed, and your life will be fuller and better as a result. When it comes to the counsel, when it comes to the godly wisdom that we need, it really ought to be out with the new and in with the old. We need to give the words of older, wiser Christians greater weight than the words of our contemporaries. And what happens when we don't? What happens when we ignore our elders? Where did we begin? With Rehoboam. Remember him? The king who listened to both older counselors and young and whose advice did he go with? The Bible tells us in chapter 12, verse 13, that the king answered the people harshly. He forsook the counsel that the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men. He said, my father made your yoke heavy, I'll add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, I'll use scorpions. And what happened? The kingdom tore into two. It was ripped asunder, never to be mended again. Devastating consequences came when Rehoboam chose not to listen to older and wiser counselors, but to people his own age. What happens when we listen? We are shaped by the wisdom of our elders. By their faith, by their legacy, we become who we are supposed to be. I had one of the most encouraging visits that I've ever had in my office on Friday. I was wrapping up this sermon when a man came by my office late on Friday afternoon, a man I greatly respect, Josh Timpenny, a former deacon here, a former elder. And he came by and we chatted a little bit. He said, I want to tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I need to be restored. I'm here because I haven't been as dedicated to the work of the Lord as I need to be. I'm here because I need God's forgiveness for the ways that I've fallen short. And I want to be a more devoted servant. And I don't know how much time I've got left. And I didn't want to wait. I tried to, to put him off. I didn't know why he wanted to come by. He wanted to come by because decisions like that never need to be put on hold. Younger Christians, are you listening? That's the type of example, that's the type of faith that we are called to emulate from older, wiser believers. That type of humility, courage. Maybe you need to come as Josh came to me. Maybe you need to come and say, I've not been as dedicated as I need to be. I need to be restored. 
One has already come. Two, we announced another who wanted prayers to be put in a right relationship with God. T made that announcement. Let's make it one more. Two more. Ten more. Maybe you need to come and give your life to Jesus for the very first time. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Why don't you do that right now as we stand and sing?